Welcome to the FPA Business Before Technology podcast, where our goal is to provide small business owners and key decision makers with valuable nuggets to help you grow or simply improve how you run your business, ultimately looking to increase your profitability. My name is Craig Pollock. I'm the founder and CEO of FPA Technology Services, and I'm your host for this podcast. Do you ever wonder what other business owners are running up against out there? Are you too busy working in your business to work on your business? Do you ever feel like you're in this thing alone? Are you at a crossroad with your business where some new ideas would help? For nearly 30 years, I've been helping companies grow and improve their businesses by leveraging technology, whether it's software, hardware, on-prem, or in the cloud, and at the same time, building FPA into the premier IT service provider in the greater Los Angeles area. This experience has given me exposure to hundreds of businesses and all sorts of systems, and as a lifelong learner has helped me gather all I could about the ins and outs of running a business. And these are the sorts of things I want to share with you on this podcast. In today's podcast, I sit down with Barbara Palmer, founder of Broad Perspective Consulting, a full-service coaching and leadership training firm transforming employees into superheroes. Barbara and her team have created a unique, one-of-a-kind business transformation consultancy firm. She's passionate about helping business owners optimize their people to help create an engaged and dynamic workforce. Offering a broad perspective, no pun intended, by utilizing her 30 plus years of executive level experience, Barbara is also passionate about empowering women and helping them rise to their full potential. Her focus on operational excellence and results-driven solutions guides employees on their individual paths to professional fulfillment. These are just some of the reasons I'm so excited to have Barbara on our podcast and share some of her insights with you today. So here we go. Let's dive into our conversation with Barbara. Welcome, Barbara, to the podcast. So excited to have you on here. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Thank you for the invitation. Nice to spend some time together. Yeah. Well, this is this is exciting for me because I don't know how exciting it is for you talking to me, but for me to talk to you is always exciting. I, I love what you do. You know, we've, we go, we go back pretty far and obviously we know each other personally, but professionally you've always impressed me. I've, I've loved your leadership style. I love how you hold people accountable firmly yet gently <laughs> with an empathetic view yet you you're good at making things happen and i love that stuff so i i know that what you're doing now is called broad perspective consulting but um i'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you're doing now how you got to this point yeah anything that you can you know start us off with would be great absolutely so when i left my last corporate job after being in corporate america for about 35 years that dates myself Actually, a competitor reached out and asked if I would coach a woman on his leadership team, very self-aware that it was a leadership team primarily of men, all of a certain color, and he wanted to find support for a woman who was ascending within their organization. And he reached out and he asked if I would mentor. And I said, yes, that was always a part of my corporate jobs. And very quickly, what I realized what he was looking for was actually coaching And from that day, I built a business and I credit him for just pointing out that what I love to do throughout my career could be something that I could build my second chapter on. And so since that time, it's been about seven years, Broad Perspective Consulting, my title is Top Broad. I focus on a woman's perspective in terms of leadership. I work with women and men now. I did start just with women and then realized that I didn't have to be gender specific and 
I am focusing on operational excellence. So when I coach, I work with people on what it means to be in their role, since I've probably held their role or had someone in their role report to me. And over time, coaching has turned into workshops, has turned into offsites, uh, and some other signature programs to help people in what I call their oh shit moments. Oh shit, I'm an independent uh, individual contributor. They want to make me a leader of people, projects, or process. Oh shit, I have to give feedback, delegate. And the biggest moment, which is a huge transition moment, is I'm welcoming a child, first, second, third, whatever it is, that changes your relationship with work, how you want to be seen as a working parent. And so I have a signature program around that as well. And I love it. I love it. I feel like I'm a perspective coach, offering different perspectives, looking at things through non-emotional eyes, because it's not my boss that's saying this to me. It's not my colleagues that I'm trying to lead. And just offering, based on my experience, how they might look at a situation differently and an opportunity differently. Yeah, that's super interesting. I think nowadays, certainly personal development and, you know, which then kind of rolls down or flows down into people development. This is all really exciting stuff for me and, and the stuff that I really love. One of my questions to follow up with that is, you know, normally I would ask, well, what's different about your approach than others? But I think you you sort of described it in terms of it's it started as more of a female focus. But I'm wondering what's what's unique about that. And also, does that give you a different sort of perspective, not only helping women, but helping men from a female perspective? And And maybe you can speak a little bit around that as well as being a, a leader, but a female leader, right? And not that not that not that we should put pronouns in front of what a leader mm -hmm. is, right? But I, I do think that there is, you know, we all have different strengths and weaknesses and we all have different, I don't want to say baggage, but other things that we bring to the table, mm -hmm. biases, whether good or bad, right? But I I would love to hear that perspective from you. Um, and, and so I heard two questions. Yeah. I heard two questions in there. The first one was, what's my differentiator? And I do believe because I'm not a traditional coach that came up through an HR background that does it a little bit more arm's length. Those are great coaches, but they're using theory to approach their work. And I'm using actual operational instances. I've been in this situation with clients, internal and external. I've had to do layoffs myself. I've had to look at a bottom line and figure out what levers I have to pull. I've had to staff according to potential business and what's in the pipeline and all of those things. And so I think what I do is I get to the heart of the matter very quickly and work with you as a business partner rather than here's a lot of theory, go ahead and see how it applies to your work. And I find that that's really successful for me. The other side of it is broad has two meanings, right? It's the female perspective. That's the only perspective I can offer to you because that's who I am and how I've come through organizations. But it's also broad in terms of width because I've been public, private companies, large, small, startup. Uh, I've been the head of marketing and I've been the head of the company. So I think that breadth of experience also plays into my coaching, my support, my strategic development. And so a lot of times I will turn down executive coaching opportunities because I feel like there are a lot of great executive coaches out there. I am much more interested in high potential 
new managers and new leaders under the thesis that if we don't invest early, how are we going to know that they have the right skills for our organization down the road? And so I would rather see organizations take high potential leaders and put them in a cohort program that I'm running and make sure that they all have the foundations of what good leadership looks like, rather than presuming that along the way they were looking at the right role models. And I oftentimes start with an exercise on leadership attributes, and we talk about what it means to be a great leader and who are your inspirations. It could have been someone you worked with, someone you read about, someone you admired, but oftentimes I actually pull out the worst leader that I worked for. Mm -hmm. And I use that example of I check myself probably daily against that leader to make sure I'm not following those footsteps as much as I'm following in a great leader's footsteps who was empowering and supportive and a great visionary and had my back, whatever those attributes are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, again, I think this is really interesting stuff. I think that one of the things that you said really stuck with me was the difference between coaching and mentoring or coaching Mm -hmm. and leadership. And also, I mean, I can because I know you and I know your experience, I can think of these different roles and different things that you brought to the table in, in each of those roles. This is one of those things I think that are that that's difficult for people to see how much how much leadership really means to the success of a company. Like it mm-hmm. took me a long, long time to really understand that. And there's so much, there's so much gray in that. Right. And do you find uh, if, if somebody um, if somebody, you know, super senior hires you to be training or developing and developing the leadership approach for some of, of, of their direct reports, do you do you interact with them and find, you know, aha moments for for even for the people who hired you, but they're not really even engaging in your leadership? Absolutely. A lot of the work that I do, one really easy, low barrier to entry is a workshop series. Mm -hmm. So we get the entire organization together, all levels, and we go through once a month training on a variety of topics. And I usually do those over a quarter. So let's pick three topics. Let's have the whole company invest one hour of time and sit down together. Why is it important together? Because oftentimes people come and say they want to do it for leadership or for their junior team members. And I say, why not put them all together in one? Because delegation is a two-sided trust issue. Mm -hmm. I want to trust that I can delegate to you. And I trust that you have the professional maturity to raise your hand and say, if you need more direction, more support, whatever that looks like. And so I don't think that it is in our best interest to only look at one side of the equation. And so oftentimes when I'm working with individuals, they will talk about how do they interact better with their manager, keep one-on-ones, provide feedback. And I will work with their manager who may have hired me or the organization to say, here's a way that you can support your employees better or differently. And so it is a confidential relationship between me and the person that I'm working with But I also put into the contract, I want to meet with their supervisor and hear their point of view. What can this employee be working on better? What are the things that they can do to get to that next level? And I've also differentiated that I don't do remedial coaching. Uh, Only once somebody called me and said, can you help coach this person out of the organization? And I thought, well, that's a waste of resources. Let's invest in the people you want to stay as opposed to invest in the person and help them out the door. They'll Mm -hmm. find their way if you have a a candid conversation. 
And what I ended up doing was taking one call with this woman and figuring out she was in the wrong role. She took a job because it was available, but it went against every one of her sensibilities. She was an introvert. She was a process thinker, and she was put into an account management role. So having to think on her feet and manage a client and being scared to death every time. And so rather than manage her out and train her out, we actually found her a new role. And guess what? Four years later, still with the company, high achiever, has been promoted in the right role. And so that's a differentiation as well, which is to say to leadership, organizational leadership, CEOs, boards of directors, let's invest in the people you want to have longevity with your company, who are going to be the ones that are going to train other leaders. I don't know if your kids played Encino Little League, but there's a sign there that says, parents, your kids are watching. And I've turned that into leaders, your employees are watching. Mm-hmm. Young people, junior team members, less experienced are looking at leadership and saying, is that how I behave? Is that how I deal under circumstances that are stressful or challenging? And so that's what we want. We want to be that role model that I talked about in the leadership exercise. When I talk to your people five years later, I want them to say, it was because of this person that I stayed, I excelled, I tried harder, I was loyal. And all of those attributes are being watched by your kids, by your employees. It's all very similar. Yeah, hundred percent. I think you touched on a number of things, and I'm just trying to keep my thoughts straight until you able to <laughs> have this conversation. But um, one one of the one of the best uh, leadership lessons, if you will, which is really weird thinking back. One of the best leadership lessons I got was from a dog trainer, because mm-hmm. the dog trainer literally said to us whatever you are doing you're training him whether you whether it's right or wrong or whether you want it, him to do it or not want him to do it you're you're always training him and luckily this was before i had kids <laughs> and i could extrapolate that out but right it's it's we don't realize that oh no i'm not training him because i didn't i'm not sitting here with my you know biscuits or whatever else it's like no no matter what you're doing you're training them you know mm-hmm. whether it's whether it's your pets, whether it's your kids, whether it's your employees, right? They do. They model. They model what you do. And if you're, you know, do what I say, not what I do. Nobody follows that. And and a, another line that I got that I that that's always stuck with me was, um, you you manage inventory, you lead people. Mm, I love like that. there's a lot of people, you know, uh, I'm a manager, so I need to manage these people. Well. No, you need to lead them. You need to get people to do, you know, what is leadership? Getting people to do what they don't realize they want to do, (laughs) right? Well, seeing in others what they don't yet see in themselves is Mm -hmm. often one of the great responsibilities and privileges of leadership, which is I believe in you. I trust that you can do this, even if it's outside of your comfort zone. And maybe they fall down, but fail is first attempt in learning. What can we learn from this experience? How can we debrief afterwards? Did I expect too much? Did I not teach clearly? If you think about it, you don't put your child on a bike and send them down the street. You put training wheels on, they get a feel for it. You hold the back of the bike, you're holding all of the power. They're not going to fall off. And then you run alongside. Well, with your employees, if you run alongside, that's where you're giving them the chance to excel, but you're there to catch them if they fall, check their work. And eventually the goal is that they're riding on their own, handling a task, handling a project, leading. 
but we don't just say go, we actually have to teach them how to go. There's a great meme that I share, which is boss says go, and a leader says, let's go, let us go together, Mm -hmm. because that's what you want. And going back to the question you asked before, mentorship, coaching, advocacy, champion, sponsorship, they all have slightly different variations, but it all comes down to supporting their potential And then am I sponsoring, raising my hand and saying, here's a person who can do this task? Am I mentoring and answering their questions? Am I coaching and guiding them? And think about elite athletes. Elite athletes get paid millions of dollars, but they still have a coach on the sideline, telling them where they can do better, getting them into the right position. Can't we all as leaders think of ourselves as coaches to make sure that we're bringing out the best in our elite employees and in our high potential leaders? hundred percent. Again, I think, uh, but oftentimes, you know, people get promoted into leadership before they're ready. Tenure-based promotion. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of times too often you see people who were promoted out of what they were really good at into something that they're not. And, and, and the question isn't, oh, well, they're just not good at it. It's kind of like what you, you, the story you gave a second ago, which is they might be great at X, but leading at X is a different set of skills. And it's really hard to go from doing to leading. And especially in small businesses, Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to, it's hard not to hire from within, right? It's hard to not promote people up, but it's also hired hard to hire from outside to lead people in a small company Mm who, who know the ins and outs of, of the doing. And then you kind of run into this sort of, you know, battle between doing, getting it done, leading and getting to another place. Because it's, I found that it's just, it's so hard to find people who, when you're doing, you're, you're at the technical level, but when you're leading, you're at the strategic level. Mm -hmm. And not only are there different skill sets required, but there's different sort of internal rewards right like you said if you're if you're you know a really low eye if we're talking about disc assessment if you're you know not somebody who likes interacting with people a lot being a leader is is really tough doesn't mean that you need to be you know overly enthusiastic and a rah-rah cheerleader you you can Mm -hmm. you can be introverted and lead people but if if you're if you're really about seeing results immediately and things that you can control that that's that's a hard sort of internal characteristic to to mod, modify to be then then become a leader and, and sort of pull back right one of the things that i think happens a lot is that we project success what success looks like onto others we believe that if we take a step up that the person who works for us wants to take that next next step on the proverbial ladder. Mm -hmm. But I think that success can be up and broad and deep. So, so much of this comes down to having meaningful conversations and providing really candid feedback to the people that you work with. What does success look like for them? And I often tell the story of my sister-in-law who had three kids under the age of three. And she was at Microsoft at the time. And their culture was that you constantly had to go up another rung on the ladder. You had to constantly be interviewing. Mm-hmm. And she said very candidly to her manager, I don't want the next rung because I don't want what comes along with that rung. Can I just be good at what I'm doing? 
But culturally, they didn't allow that. Culturally, Mm -hmm. you had to constantly be striving for more. That was the attribute that they wanted. And so it was a really interesting paradigm for her to live because the next rung meant more travel, which meant more time away, more concessions with her family. And she just wanted to be great at what she did. Mm -hmm. Same time, I had another friend and he loved his job and his boss loved him and constantly wanted him to take on more responsibility. But this employee wanted to coach his kids baseball and he wanted normal work hours to balance out his wife's work hours. And again, it was sitting them down and saying, just because you, boss, see the next rung is exciting and all of those things, engage in the conversation with your employee. What does success look like for you and how can I facilitate that? Does the organization allow for it? By the way, it takes a lot of pressure off of leaders to not always be looking to promote someone. I love when someone comes to me and says, I love what I'm doing. I just want to do more of it. That takes all the pressure of getting through flaming hoops to get them to the next level. And if you see them in the next role, if they desire to be in the next role, that's where candor comes in as well. Here are the shortcomings. Here are the opportunities I haven't been able to present. Let's work toward them. It doesn't mean that I have to say to you, you've been here two years, therefore you get a promotion. I can say at two years, I would expect you to do A, B, and C. You're doing great on A. Let's work on B and C and let's revisit. What if we revisit this in 90 days and see if you've made that work? Now, feedback to me is an investment, an investment in your success. So let's make that investment together, get you the right opportunities, challenge you in the best ways, get you the best teaching. And then let's revisit it when the time is right and not on this false calendar because Joe got in, uh, got promoted at a year that Susie and Tommy do also, if there mm-hmm. aren't opportunities. I think the way that you just described it is, I mean, it's spot on, but it's also, it, it brings to mind some just, you know, some situations that we've run into in the past where having that so- sort of dialogue with your staff is really difficult if you haven't been trained in how to have that dialogue and and how to set up your 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 one-on-ones, your meetings, the relationships with your staff so that there's trust there so they can come into those meetings and not feel like, well, I need to say what the boss wants me to say, otherwise they're going to fire me or otherwise they'll get rid of this because mm-hmm. he wants me to be X. I don't want to be X, but I don't want to lose my job because I like doing what I do. Um, and I think that all comes back to just trust and honesty and and relationships. And I think, again, I, I've I've seen it in the past, but I see it a lot where where leaders don't they don't see the relationship as being at least the way I see it being the core of, of being able to have these sort of conversations, right? Because if you don't have trust, everything else doesn't matter. I can sit yeah. here and have the most transparent conversations, but if underlying it, my staff doesn't either doesn't believe me or doesn't think that's real or yeah, you're saying I'm okay, but I don't know because the last guy got fired six months ago, so I don't know what's happening with me. And so how much do you, you know, how much of, of that do you work with new leaders in terms of helping them see like, what what is what is this paradigm that leadership, this this thing called leadership? Well, you actually just laid out most of the coursework that we do in my Next Level Leadership Program, which is a cohort program. Most companies use it as we're about to promote you and we want to give you all the tools 
tools to become great leaders, or you've just been promoted. And so you get this opportunity to work with a cohort of your peers from across the organization. And it's all the elements that you just talked about. Delegation starts and ends with trust, building a culture of trust where we can give feedback candidly and fully, managing genuine relationships. What do you get out of having a good relationship with your staff? What happens when that relationship gets crossed? How to run meetings so that we don't over-index on the personal and don't get to the business. One of my favorite things is to run a mullet meeting, which is business in the front, party in the back. For someone who over-indexes on the party part, like we spend 20 minutes talking about kids and travel and holidays, Mm -hmm. and then we have five minutes to do the work, the mullet is business in the front, party in the back. Hey, we've got a really full agenda. Let's start right in. We get through everything we need. And in the last five minutes, we talk about holiday and kids and pets and all of that. Mm-hmm. So how do you manage that time and how do we manage it effectively? Making sure we have really productive one-on-ones and it's not the meeting I dread every week where I'm just either putting out fires or going through a status report, but connecting in different ways throughout the quarter, throughout the year, so that when we get to performance reviews, there are no surprises. Everybody knows where we stand. And to your point, it does come to trust. So I think it is leadership living their word back to our leadership attributes being authentic, being candid, also being fun, if that's part of your business culture. But if we're going to say that our core values are A through D, we have to be living those core values in meaningful and very visible ways. No question. And and I'm glad you brought up the core values because I think for us, culture has been huge. I mean, I, I I could probably pretty confidently say our, our, our culture is, is the foundation of our success, right? Our mm-hmm. people stay, our people are are respectful, our people are really great at what they do and care about each other. You know, in a in a technology support company, that's oftentimes hard to find, but you know, it's something that we've worked really, really, really hard at. But I think it goes back to what you said and and that a lot of businesses don't even not not even don't have core values, but they don't understand what core values are for. And how do you, how do you integrate that in with your business? And that's always been a pet peeve of mine. It's like, I, I tell people, you, you can go online and hopefully I'm not going to offend anybody here, but if, if your core values say honesty, trustworthy, helpful, I will, I will have an argument with you that that's, that's, those aren't core values of a company. Those are characteristics of the people that you want to hire, but mm-hmm. that doesn't define your values of your company. And to me, core values help individuals make decisions that are in alignment with how you want your company to run. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for us, core value number one is take care of the client. Well, Mm -hmm. that's a really easy bullet point to have conversations with the staff about. Well, Mm -hmm. we made that client wait a half an hour to do X. How is that taking care of the client? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we had these four other clients that we were dealing with and we were dealing, you know, we, we were focused on taking care of those clients, not this client. Okay. Well, look, I, we can, we, we're now having an educated conversation. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Great. You know, I may disagree. This one's more important than that one or whatever, but at least as opposed to, I don't know, I just, it's what I'm doing. Well, okay. How does, again, how does that help the organization all row in the same direction? Right. And I think a lot of these things, a lot of this stuff gets lost. It's like, well, Mm -hmm. let's throw it up on posters. Let's hope that people talk about it. But 
if you're not mentoring from the top down, it's, it's really hard to get, you know, people two, three levels below you to be in alignment. And then you're, you're having, you're, you're speaking as a leader of the company and everybody, you know, who's listening to you is nodding. No, that's not the way we see it. And, and there's this whole disconnect. No, and we do need to live our values. And it is one of the things that I do as part of most of my trainings, which is ask for the company values first and weave them into next level leadership and all of the workshops that I do and all of the individual coaching, because we should be able to live our values. And to your point, honesty, like that's table stakes. I'm not going to hire anyone dishonest. We're not in a dishonest business. We're not (laughs) here to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. So I would say the same thing, which is, well, how does honesty show up? Is Mm -hmm. it more integrity? We do what's right, regardless of how hard it is. Let's talk about that. That's meaty. That's something where I can say, show me some examples. Mm -hmm. And think about it in terms of awards. I could actually acknowledge that you were doing this during performance reviews, annual awards, bonus time. You went above and beyond to live this value in a way that's real and measurable and tangible, both for internal and external stakeholders. I love that. Right. Those are our values. Those are our values. And they're they're clear, concise, and everybody knows them. And Mm -hmm. and if if people don't know them, it shouldn't create alarm or concern or wonder, like, how come we're not rowing in the same direction? Well, what direction is that if they don't know what it is? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think a lot of that, again, comes from the top down and, and it's all about culture. Everything comes in. And I know for me, oftentimes when I'm talking to a new prospect and we'll get questions about very, very specific and technical questions, meaning like, how fast is your response time? Okay. Well, I can tell you what our SLAs say. I can tell you it's 15 minutes, mm-hmm. but you know, that doesn't matter. I can talk to you about our approach and our culture and why I could almost guarantee that 15 minutes, or I can always guarantee on the mm-hmm. weekends why somebody's going to call you back because mm-hmm. our culture says that mm-hmm. this, this is, you know, this is the way that we live. And, and, and I can explain my answers as opposed to, well, I'll just, I'll just answer your question with a bunch of facts and try to outsell the next guy. Like Mm -hmm. that's, I don't want there to be a disconnect between what I've promised and what our company delivers. Right. right? And so there has to be a connection there. And that's your integrity. Also, you want to speak to a prospect and know that what you say is going to be, this is not a sales process. This is, we're getting into partnership together. And Mm -hmm. if I can't stand by my word and my people aren't standing by our word as an organization, this is not going to be successful. Right. A hundred percent. And again, in we're very similar as, as, as a consulting entity, right? Which is everything that we do is about trust. It's, it's not about the technical skills because everybody assumes that you can do it. That's why they're Mm -hmm. talking to you. Like you said, that's table stakes, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, great. You know, you can, you you can patch windows for me. Okay. Well, is that the reason you're hiring me? No, you're, you know, you're hiring us for all these other reasons, Mm -hmm. um, which goes back to, what you do and what you do to help companies grow professionally. I, I really like on your website, there's this one, I, I don't know if he'd call it a, I didn't want to use the word cartoon, but maybe meme. It's kind of uh, a cartoon. It's kind yeah. of, it's a hand drawing thing, but it's, it's um, basically it says, 
what if we invest in our people and they leave? And the response is, well, what if we don't and they stay? I mean, I've, it's so poignant and subtle, yet, you know, it should be hitting people over the, the head with a frying pan. Like, you know, yeah, you know, what you're doing is you're training everybody to deliver service the way you don't want them to, mm -hmm. but you don't know it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then no, you're the reason it's there yeah. is for that very reason. That is, to me, a core value. I believe that you invest in the people that you want to stay, you create an environment where they can be successful, where they feel like they are continuously learning, and then they won't be looking to leave. Mm -hmm. But if you say we believe in family values that allow for work-life integration and we're never going to work more than nine to five, and that's not really your ethos, then you're lying out of the gate. Yep. You know, I just got off, I just got off the phone this morning with someone and she had a job offer a few months ago and didn't take it. She really wanted to stay where she was. And we worked through, have a stay conversation with your manager. Tell them what isn't going well and tell them why you're even considering another offer. And that's a very mature thing. That goes back to the point you said earlier, I'm afraid to talk to the, my manager and then I'm going to lose my job. But what if you actually spoke to your manager and said, this is what I'm struggling with. I want to stay, but here are some of the things that I'm struggling with and see if we can find common ground. Now, they may say, I can't take you off of that client. They really like you. You're doing great work. What if, right? That's a conversation mm -hmm. starter. What if I get you more support? What if we limit the scope of the work that you do for them? What if we work toward a transition in the next three months, six months, whatever it is? That's an engaged conversation, which says to me, you're invested in me. You're invested in my success and you want me to be here because what happens in most companies, I go and find another job. I come back and tell my manager and all of a sudden in 48 hours, you can get through every flaming hoop that you haven't been able to in six months. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden I'm coming off of this client. I'm getting more support. I'm getting more money. Why are we doing that? Why are we taking all that time and energy away from the core work versus having an adult conversation, quite frankly, and saying, invest in me. I want to be here. I want, I am working hard. Look at my track record. Look at the equity that I've invested of time and tenure. How do we make this work together? And doesn't that, I mean, that all comes from trust, right? It comes from having a relationship with your staff. And mm -hmm. I think that that's, again, going back to leadership, mentoring, development. How do you, how do you teach people to have a purposeful relationship when I, when I would venture to guess a lot of people are very reactive in their life and things happen and you know good or bad but they're not intentional about these things as opposed mm -hmm. to I, I intentionally want to you know I'm not saying be manipulative but intentionally create a relationship well there's a lot in what you just asked because first of all I think old things that work don't work in a remote world anymore mm -hmm. I used to pass by your desk and we'd grab coffee. I'd walk by and I'd see that you were stressed and I could intervene. We'd have those magic moments as we physically walked out of a meeting together. Mm -hmm. And what have we done over the past three years? At the end of the Zoom, we hit leave and we leave. And we don't hang around and ask those extra questions or raise our hand. So I'm coaching on action. I'm coaching on if you are leading a meeting, say, I'm going to stay on for the next five minutes if anyone has questions or wants to debrief or do any of those things. That's relationship building. I'm saying schedule time and check in with someone 
and say, hey, let's just put some time on the calendar just to debrief at the end of this year, end of the quarter, end of the month, whatever it is, to not share a status report in a meeting. I can prepare for our meeting. If we're going to agree 24 hours before, you're going to update the status report. I'm going to look at it. You're going to highlight some areas you could use some uh, support, and I'm going to highlight some things I want to talk about. So how do we actually change that paradigm of how we interact with each other? And then back to the curriculum, I do a whole piece on why it matters to have relationships with your people. Yes, you get more productivity, but you also get more tenure out of them. You get you build that trust. What happens when you build trust? You get chosen for a team because I've seen your work product. We can give more candid feedback so that we both feel like we're growing. And it's two-way feedback. It's not just leaders to their direct reports. I should be able to say to my manager, I could have used your support in this way. I wish you had said this. So I think that it is an ongoing, breathing, living organism that is the relationship with the people that you work with. I also have a module on centered leadership, which basically is a leader shows up in four different forms. The first is I'm an individual. How do I show up, manage my stress, not be reactive, be more responsive when somebody asks something? Um, how do I manage my optimism or my realism? The next is one-on-one -on -one relationships. How do I advocate for you? How do we find, how do I put my ego aside and realize as a leader, I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I want to surround myself with smart subject matter experts and people who see the world differently. And then one more out is, is leading a team? How do I make sure that the direction, the focus, the vision is unified? How do I collaborate and provide the context and the why? And then the last state of a leadership is to show up as a culture keeper, an ambassador for change, an industry leader, someone who has more of a worldview. And if we keep in mind, we don't want to master the four. We actually want to be more centered. We want to continuously improve how I show up, how I interact, how I present myself and the company, then that's an ongoing learning opportunity, continuous improvement, lifelong learning. We don't get to the end of the road. There is no perfect leader because the, the data is changing every single day. And then there's also vulnerability. How do you as a leader say, I don't have it all figured out. I'm open to conversation. So all of those things are, they show up in different ways in my training, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, small group or cohort. Uh, but they do show up and they're things that we want to remind on both sides. Leaders are not perfect. And leaders, remember, your people are here watching you and gleaning from what you teach and what you coach and how you advocate. How do you get that to stick? Because that sounds, you know, you go to a workshop, you learn a whole bunch of stuff or you go to a couple of workshops. But, you mm -hmm. know, what you're talking about is something that takes years really to develop and become, you know, really, really solid at. Um, how how do you get that to stick? And what, what does that look like with one of your engagements? So I think the first thing is to be intentional about it. So we're not going to, you know, how do you boil the ocean one cup mm -hmm. at a time? Let's find one attribute you want to do better at. And let's check in on the next call. What did you do to change that attribute? How were you a more active listener? What was a situation where you caught yourself, not the old way, but the new way of doing it? And like you said, it's an ongoing process. So once you build that habit, once you start to use that muscle, then each quarter, I'm going to find one or two attributes to work on. When I leave my training on delegation, tell me one thing that you're going to delegate over the next couple of weeks. And by the way, a lot of these apply to work and home. Mm -hmm. I always use the example about loading the dishwasher. 
Are you a great dishwasher loader or does Ellen tell you do it wrong? No, I'm, I'm perfect. Of course you are. Okay. <laughs> I just never turned it on. That's my problem. <laughs> so the reason I ask is I'm on a, a training with a hundred people and I say, mm-hmm. who's great, who's great at loading the dishwasher and half the hands go up and who's been told that they're horrible at it. And the other half go up. Right. And the fact is that's a great opportunity to delegate a task to someone else in the family, your teenager, your partner, your roommate, but is it wrong or is it not your way if they mm-hmm. don't separate the silverware the same way you were raised to do it? If they don't put the plates in the right place? Mm-hmm. And so part of delegation is, is it wrong or is it not my way? And if you can reflect on that, what you realize is they got to the same answer. We still got clean dishes. I just loaded it different based on my experience. And maybe that was a better way. Maybe I put all the bowls on top so they didn't hold on to all the water on the bottom. And maybe my partner now would go, I'm going to start doing that in the future. Mm -hmm. So it's the same way with the task. Did we run the report and then do insights? Or did we find what the thesis was that we wanted to come out with and then find the data to support it? Two different ways. Let's figure out the why, what's best for us now, what's best for this client. So it is ongoing. And I think part of it is just setting that intention and checking in in a couple of weeks or in a month. A few months later, we add something else. So most of my coaching engagements last six months or more. Okay. My cohort program is also six months. It's an intensive one day. It's once a month trainings over the next five months and then overlaid with individual coaching. Because when you're in a cohort, all of that information is great. And like you said, great workshop. I learned a lot. Okay, how are you going to apply it? Mm-hmm. And the reason I overlay with some one-on-one coaching sessions is I may have sat and didn't have a direct report when I learned about delegation. Now I do. Now I want to be a great delegator or I, I'm having a problem with someone. How do I give them that feedback? How do I approach this conversation on delegation? Because we may not have gotten into that or maybe they weren't listening at the time. So I think that it is taking a multi-pronged approach and an individual approach because you come in with your experience, education, background, and that's different than Susie and Jane and Joe. Mm -hmm. Have have you run into a situation where you were hired to coach somebody and at at some point you said, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but this person really shouldn't be a leader. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, what, have you done that? And, and. Can you give us, you know, an example without naming names of some, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. So yes, the answer is yes. And what I came to do is I have a document called my coaching value proposition. So if a, a client contacts me and says, we'd like you to work with our employee or an individual contacts me and they say they'd like to work together. The first conversation is, what do you want to get out of coaching? Why me? Why now? And they may say, I don't know. Somebody mentioned you or I've got this challenge, I'm hoping to get some guidance on it. So if we can baseline, where are we? Maybe Mm -hmm. I don't have any goals, maybe I have lots of goals. And then after that first call, I say, this is up to you. This is a relationship that you're gonna have to invest in. So I'm gonna send you my coaching value proposition, which is right coach, right time. I'm not invested right now. So if I'm not the right coach, let's find you the right coach. The person you're gonna call in crisis, the person you're gonna take hard feedback from. And if this is not the right time, you are going to put in the time, you are going to change habits, you are going to build some memory muscle around the things you're not good at, then I'm not the right person either. And I've been able to point back to individual clients and say, I want to go back to that coaching value proposition 
You keep canceling our meetings. We're not spending the time together. We talk a lot, but I'm not seeing the action. Maybe this is not the right relationship to pursue. And it's very easy then to be able to point back to something because I've laid out my expectations for this relationship. I thought we were aligned. And if we're not, and we've had the conversation a couple of times, it's time to end this relationship. Or a manager will ask me to work with someone and they're not showing up or they're not putting into action. They're giving a lot of lip service. I will go back to the manager and say, I have very limited spots. I'm not sure that this is the right investment at the right time. I'd like you to talk to your direct report or to your employee and see what their commitment is to coaching. Mm -hmm. have, you, have you run into situations where, you know, they're trying, they're, they're, they're doing like sort of what they're supposed to be doing, but it's just not in them. Like they just, maybe they just, either they're not capable or it, it's not, you know, they say they want to be a, a leader, but they're really not ready to be a leader. Yeah. Um, and I've had that conversation before with folks who want to, because that's what leadership has been painted. In mm -hmm. order to be a leader, I have to have direct reports. And I'll say to them, do you really want direct reports? Because it sounds like you want to be an individual contributor. Is it possible that leadership could be of people, projects, or process? Should you engage with your manager and say, I'm not sure I'm ready to be a leader of people, but I would like to lead a work stream. I would like to lead a task and show my leadership in that way. Now, the organization has to realize that those are all valid leaders, and there may be different compensation or title structure or whatever, but mm -hmm. I do again say we can't force them into a role that they're not ready for. And the organization shouldn't force it. Well, they've been here two years. We have to promote them. How about just talking about doing better in the job that they're in? Mm -hmm. We're not aligned on expectations. We're not aligned on what a leader looks like. And here's a tip to all the leaders out there. Oftentimes it feels personal Craig, you're not doing the job to make you a senior manager, as opposed to saying, I would expect a manager in your role for the amount of time you've been here, three years, to be able to do this list of things. Let's review you against the baseline. So Craig doesn't feel like I'm comparing him to Susie and Jane. I'm comparing him against the job description, basically. And I would start with a, a reflection. Craig, how do you think you're doing? I think I'm doing great. I can do X and Y and Z. I think you are doing X and Y and Z well. However, the job is A through Z. So let's look at some of the things that you're not spotlighting and let's take a critical approach here to say, how are you doing against the list of the job remit? And if you're not doing well, it's easier to say, so how can we do better? Are these areas you want to explore? How can I get you more support? Or I think you're doing great as a manager. I'd like to see you continue to do that. And if that person leaves because they didn't get a senior manager, whoever makes them a senior manager next isn't getting a senior manager. They're getting a manager with a good talk track. Mm -hmm. yeah. I want to give you the skills to make you a, a successful senior manager. I think that's that's important. And I also think that when, you know, the way that you describe that, taking it out of the first person, I guess. I, I don't want to say it's the third person, but it's more objective. It, it's more objective. It's more neutralized, right? You're mm -hmm. it's, it's less directed at a person. Mm -hmm. um, again, those are those are those are pretty high level skills to one to know yeah. to have the conversation that way and two to be able to think on your feet and drive the conversation that way. And, and I think that's that's again, these are so subtle and and they're difficult concepts especially for older people 
I'm not going to, I'm an older person, so I can say that, no, I'm not. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it's just when you've gone down the road so far and you have, you know, what do they say, right? It's hard to teach old dog new tricks. Well, I'm talking to him fine. I don't see what the problem is. Well, mm -hmm. the problem's right there. Like <laughs> the way you responded is that's, you know, we need, we need to take this emotion out of it and be able to just talk. But again, I think that that the underlying you you have to have a great relationship. You have to have the ability, and, and I think that the ability to have that that conversation with the person, not to the person, right? Yes. With the person, it's a bi-directional conversation. But being able to do that and being able to sort of have the maturity to step back. And, and I think in small companies, that's really hard because there's a lot of fear in small companies. Well, what if I tell him something honestly and he quits? I'd rather him be at 70% than fear him quitting because I'm, I'm honestly telling him I want him to get to 80%. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I think that, you know, again, these are all tactics for leaders to learn, but how do, how do you, do you, talk about those things? Do you see those things? Is there a difference between that, that sort of, again, the, the fear of in a small company, you know, any lever you turn or pull could have a big change as opposed to in a big company, you know, if you have 20,000 people and you lose one, eh, not a big deal. I'm not minimizing to that right. person, but. But the 70% is an interesting yeah. analogy because I actually use that in my training. You mm -hmm. have one chair. If I put a 70% person in that chair, where does the 30% work go to mm -hmm. my high performers? So now I'm actually risking not the 70% guy because I've lowered the bar. I've risked my 100% person who now has to put in 130 to make up for the deficit. And so if you think that when I say, you know, leaders, your employees are watching, it's not just the bad ones. It's the good ones who are going, do they realize that this guy is at 70%? Do they realize how hard I'm working? Because we over-index on our high performers, are the people we trust, the people who have proven themselves, the not squeaky wheels. Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes one of the things that leaders do is they naturally lower the bar so that the employee can get there. And I say, hold it up and point out what they're not, what the deficit is and engage with them to say, how do I get you there? What is the skill that we're lacking? What is the training that we need to give? Where do we need to give partnership and mentorship? And I say, work them toward, we still may only get them to 80 or 85%, but as soon as you've lowered the bar, they're successful. They're now 100% when they're at 70. In, in, in their heads. The work still has to yep. get done. Right. In their heads, they're, yeah, they're, I'm doing great. What's the problem? Because we're not, we're not having those honest conversations. Right. And back to your other point about, am I too old to learn these things? Or, you know, you get to a certain point, I've been successful. I don't want to change. I actually think that leadership never stops. That leadership development mm -hmm. is something because the circumstances always change. Unless your team is completely static, clients are completely static. There's no world influence on what's going on. Every day is a new narrative. And so I may have seen this scenario 20 times before, but this is a new person, a new generation, a new leadership. And so there are different opportunities every time you engage with each of your employees to do better, to do differently. And here's a suggestion. Separate discussion from decision. Separate giving feedback from hearing their response. 
If you can do that in two sessions, you don't have to think on your feet as much. Mm -hmm. I can go in with my plan. I want to talk to you about three areas, time management, communication, and attention to detail. I just want you to listen. I know your natural reflex would be to answer, defend, give me examples, but I'd like you to actually have the same time I had in thinking about this conversation to come back to me with your response, not react, but respond. And let's talk about it in two days time or at your one-on-one in three days. That gives them time to diffuse really here and then come back to you and say, you know what? You were right on time management. I'm really struggling with that, which is then affecting the quality of my work. Isn't that more meaningful than you're wrong or, well, you don't know, or this is what happened. And they never even heard about communication because they were getting their answers ready on time management Mm -hmm. while you had moved on. So if we can separate the two, maybe we diffuse it. Now think about it. You've spent, you know, three days getting your notes together and then you expect them on the spot to respond in kind. And maybe they're not good thinkers on their feet or they just need to diffuse. So right. give them the courtesy of a couple of days to think through it as well. And it will be a more productive conversation. Wow. See, nuggets, 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 nuggets everywhere. This is great stuff. So what do you think is going on out there right now? You know, we hear a lot in the news about inflation. We hear a lot in the news about, um, you know, recession. Are we in one? Are we not? Are we going to be? Are Are you seeing anything out there? Um in, in, you know, in the corporate world or, or what your, you know, your clients that you're dealing with? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm seeing the same thing I saw in 2008 when we went through something similar. It's the unknown. How Mm -hmm. is this going to impact? How is it going to impact my business, my clients, my pipeline, my people? And I think it's the same as it was, you know, 15 years ago where you take a step back and you figure out the levers that you're going to pull. I'm seeing some companies cut very close to the bone and using this as an opportunity to, I don't like the term clean house, but get get out some of those underperformers, make sure that they're stacking with the folks who are really going to deliver for them. I see others who are making sort of small chips away and, you know, reassessing their, their sales force needs or their work needs. And others are doubling down on investment. If we're going to have these people, let's use this opportunity to invest in their skill set so that they can be better leaders, more valuable to the organization, more valuable to the clients. And I have some clients whose business is through the roof and continues to go and others who are really dialing back just with holding their breath, waiting to see what the new year brings. I think it's also complicated by the fact that it's end of year Mm -hmm. and people want to hit their numbers for this year. And I don't know that that's necessarily excuse me, I don't know that that's necessarily an indication of what's going to happen in the new year. They just want to close out 2022 well, and then they'll address it in 2023. Right. I think it's, it's, it's sort of interesting. I mean, technically we are in a recession, technically, but we keep talking about it like in the future, right? Which is Interesting. I, I, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I don't. I don't have a degree in economics, so I don't really know the details. Yeah, this is there, not a topic for us. Move yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, let's move on. I like. I like people better. Uh, I would like to share something that we haven't gotten to yet, and it's probably the program I'm most proud of, and I'm proud of all of my programs, but this one is unique. It's called Your Fourth Trimester, mm-hmm. and it actually is to support new parents, and it could be on their first, their third, their tenth child. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if they've welcomed a child uh, by themselves with a partner, and it doesn't matter if um, what role they're in. But basically, the transition out 
to parental leave and the transition back as a working parent is traumatic. There is so much that's going on. And so this is a 90-day coaching program that supports new parents, no matter how they welcomed a child, birth, adoption, alone with a partner, et cetera. And I actually don't call it a parental leave benefit. I call it a professional development benefit. Why? Because when we talk about your oh shit moments, the biggest one is how am I going to be the employee I've always been and the parent that I want to be? Mm -hmm. And so this is a program, it's concierge coaching. So I'm going to talk to you separately from Ellen, separately from Jim and Joe, because your path to parenthood is different. Your child is different. So what does that mean for sleep deprivation or schedules or childcare or any of that? And it is so wildly successful because 43% of women, according to Maven Clinic, make a job change that is tied to the welcoming of a child. Could be they go part-time, they become a stay-at-home parent, they become the lunch lady, they change careers, any of that. Mm -hmm. This this program has a 90% retention rate six months after they've returned to work. So almost a year at most companies after they've welcomed this child. And what happens is we do an intake excited about the baby? Are they, you know, what's their child care plan right now? Are they doing it alone? All of those things. And I help them transition out of work, not because of them, but because of the team. If the team is left with a good transition plan, we know the work, we know the clients, we know the milestones, they can pick up the baton and cover for this person while they're out on leave. Then they take their leave and about four to six weeks before they come back, That's when we can talk about what's it like being a parent, a second time parent? How are the kids doing? How's the baby doing? And what is your feeling now about returning to work? Oftentimes there's a lot of uh, anguish, anticipation, sadness, all of those emotions. And we work through reminding what work can look like. And that's where we come with coaching around boundaries, time management, managing your day, communication vacation, all of those things. And then that's where the 90 days is one month prior and two months post return. And in that time, we're talking about what it's like to show up to your team. How do you hold your boundaries? What if you do need to do work nights and weekends? What if the baby gets sick? But it's all around your professional working parent status. And I am incredibly proud of the program. I get incredible feedback, both from clients and the individuals I work with. And I get incredible feedback from people who would never take advantage of the program. Mm-hmm. Their kids are already grown. They're not going to have children. They're single, any of those things. And I hear from them that culturally that shows a level of support that goes well beyond we're a family friendly company. Our core value is balance as opposed right. to we're actually going to teach you how to be a great employee and a great working parent at the same time. Hmm, that's so interesting. Have you found success with certain size companies or um, how, where, where does this sort of fit in, in in terms of, you know, which companies take advantage of that? So my criteria is you first have to have generous parental leave mm-hmm. because you can't support someone on becoming a working parent when you don't give leave or they're unpaid for some number of weeks. So it has to be a company that has a parental leave policy in place already. And those tend to be tech companies, digital agencies, you know, organizations Mm -hmm. that are supporting their employees culturally as they make this transition. 
Um, and then I've worked with, you know, law firms, with financial institutions, all of those things as well. But there's a different story there. Oftentimes the message sent is that you come off the partner track mm-hmm. if you are in consulting or financial services or law when you decide to become a parent. And I think we can work around that. But the organization, again, culturally has to be saying and doing and not just saying. Right. So I find a lot more success with tech companies, uh, e-commerce businesses, agencies, all of that. One of the things that that I'm thinking about, I learned not not that long ago, but it it, it was probably one of those aha moments, you know, where you hear something and, and it's not the first time you've heard it or thought of it or you've been doing it, but it sort of coalesced and you're like, oh yeah, I am doing that. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um but this line was something along the lines of, and this was from an older person again, which was, you can't expect everybody to work the same way you are because they're all in different parts of their lives. And that really struck me like, again, not until I was older and saw, you know, I had raised some kids and I had, you know, gotten them into college and moved on and blah, 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 blah. And you realize somebody can't, you know, if, if they're a new parent or they have two toddlers or three kids or whatever, or they're single, whatever it is, um, they're not in the same place as you. And so you can't expect them to work the same hours or be as focused or be as in, you know, involved or, or what, what have you. And that was a big aha moment for me. And it, it's sort of similar to what you're saying there is, is like, you know, this only happens to to certain percentage of employees, albeit probably a large percentage, but only at certain times, right? If you have a very young staff, you're going to deal with it pretty often. If you have an older mm-hmm. staff, you may never deal with it. Right. Um, and if you have a mixed age staff, you might have older people that are resentful of the younger people, right? Like, why are you taking off so much time as opposed to, hey, I forgot I did the same thing 20 years ago. Right. Right. And it does come full circle. It comes back Mm -hmm. to the conversation I had earlier about leaders not projecting onto their employees what success looks like, but engaging in a conversation. Because for now, my sister-in-law doesn't want to be in a role where she has to travel to Seattle every other week. Mm -hmm. As her kids get older, she may be open to that. And so for now, what does success look like? For now, I might not be driving toward the next promotion. But that doesn't mean this is who I am forever and circumstances change and everybody else's circumstances change as well. I may have great child care. So you're not even going to notice that I have a child mm-hmm. at home and right. someone else does not have stable child care and they're doing the best they can. And they may, may be working off hours, but they're making it work. So how do you engage and focus not on the hours spent, but on the productivity of those hours And I often say that to new parents returning, you're going to have a new level of productivity that you never realized before because you have a prize at the end of the day. You get Mm -hmm. to spend time with your children. And I see them sitting down and getting ready and give them a lot of tips around how do you get things out of your head and be more efficient as soon as you sit down in the morning. I know what my to-do list is because I ended my day the day before with where I wanted to focus my attention first thing tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And then I'm very present for my family in the evening. By the way, it doesn't have to be children. It can be my dog, my partner, my friends. Everybody deserves to turn that burner off 
and know that they're going to hit the ground running tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And and that comes back to mindset and communication. I mean, mm-hmm. almost everything we're talking about here is is about communication, right? And um, it's just really interesting that at this time and this development of our society and civilization and everything, right? It's like, oh, it all comes back to communication and, and the fact that, right, transparency, trust, open, open lines of dialogue, all of that stuff is, is so critical. I love the fact that you're so passionate about this stuff. Like you really are. And it's awesome. It's awesome to see, but obviously it must be very fulfilling and rewarding for you. Like I would think that, that, you know, that's what I'm reading. That's what I'm, I'm feeling. It is. And I'm very fortunate. I'm fortunate that the opportunities along the way have created this moment in time for me to take all of the experience that came before and invested in others. And it's interesting. I, a lot of times I have clients say, well, how will we know our relationship and this coaching engagement is successful? And tongue in cheek, I say, if you call me crying, sounds horrible, but if you call me full of emotion, anger, fear, tears, whatever it is, and I'm the person in your village that can give you perspective and diffuse and re-engage and reignite, then I built the relationship that I wanted to have with you. I want to be that person that can offer that perspective. I'm not saying we're going to you know, push toward that, but mm-hmm. in that moment when something is really challenging, think about who you go to, a parent, a mentor, a close friend. And I can be the coach in your village that can look at it knowing, because oftentimes I work with many people across the organization. So I learn the organization. So it's not you coming and saying you have a problem with your manager. It's me saying, well, you should know that a lot of people are struggling right now, that maybe this is how this organization operates this time of year. Does that help diffuse? Does that give you a new perspective? What what is it that you want to talk to your manager about? Can we diffuse it down to the right asks? because it feels overwhelming. I have this long list of things. Well, when they give me the long list, I can actually probably distill it down to two or three themes. Mm -hmm. And then it's a different conversation than always and never, but here are three themes and I have some examples for each of them. Right, always and never. As a programmer, I have a, you know, my brain has a really hard time with that stuff because it's never always and- It's never never, always, it's never, never. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this has been this has been great, and I really appreciate it. And I think that you just gave away my secret sauce, which is coming to Barbara whenever I have a, a question or I'm in tears. So, any any last words of wisdom? I I do want to, you know, I would ask if if there's, you know, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, how they do that. We will have links for, you know, your website and LinkedIn and whatnot. But also, you write a, a great email. Wisdom for your week. Wisdom for your week. It's great stuff. And and if anybody's listening to this wants to sign up, the link will be in the show notes. But yeah, any any parting advice for any of our business owners or listeners out there? The easiest place to get to me is the website, broadperspectiveconsulting.com. From there, you can find information on next level leadership, rising stars, uh, your fourth trimester, all the programs I talked about. It talks about coaching. I also do custom offsites for teams where we may have a strategic need, a goal setting, any of those things. And a lot of it is because I was a business operator. So how do I take what I did in running businesses and help your team unlock your, your excellence? I'm there to facilitate. 
And I think that the reminder that investing in your people, investing in the right people, your high performers, your potential high performers, I think the ROI on that pays dividends. You build culture, loyalty, uh, continuous service. We have succession planning. And it becomes so much more than that investment. And I have learned over time, whether that's investing investing in a workshop series for the whole org, individual coaching, cohort training, all of that can be so impactful and meaningful that when I do that leadership exercise and I say, who is the greatest leader you ever worked for? I'm going to hear your name. I'm going to hear Craig Pollack because you took that and showed vulnerability and great leadership and empowerment and candor, feedback, all of those things. And that's ultimately my goal is to make great leaders who make great leaders who lead. Wow. I I can't. I can't say more than that. That was such a great ending. So we're going to have to cut it off there. But Barbara, thank you so much. Barbara is is no question my go-to. And if any of you are listening, and even if you don't need this, I'm shaking my head, nodding it that you do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate yeah. that. And I appreciate talking about it. I'm, as you said, I'm really passionate about it. I believe we can all do better. Even the greatest leaders continue to, you know, continue to do better. Yeah, no question. And look, every, everything we do is is our success is our staff. It's you know, my success is not about me. It it stopped being me years and years and years ago. It's really it's all about our staff. And the best thing we can do is invest in them. No different, right? And I think one of the things that we we tend to do is spend more time on the problems than spend time on on the people that actually deserve it, right? And and that's we should flip that. So Barbara, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll be we'll be in touch soon. And that was Barbara Palmer, founder of Broad Perspective Consulting. I hope you found the conversation as interesting as I did. It's always great to dive into the mind of a subject matter expert like Barbara. There are certainly a lot of nuggets there, and I hope you can apply some of them right away in your business. Thanks again, Barbara, for your time and sharing all your great thoughts with our listeners. If you'd like to find out more about what Barbara and Broad Perspective Consulting have to offer, or just simply want to connect with her, check out the show notes for more details. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. To learn more about this episode or hear previous episodes, check out the show notes at www.fpainc.com podcast. And if you like today's show, please do us a favor and share it with your friends. We'd really appreciate getting the word out there. And you can subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And while you're there, please do give us a review. Again, we'd really appreciate that. You can also write to us at podcast at fpainc.com. And if you want to send us a tweet, our handle on Twitter is at fpainc. I'm Craig Pollock, and you've been listening to the FPA Business Before Technology podcast. And remember, with FPA, it's always about business before technology. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.